Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. And it's good to be with you again today. Again, I'm sorry for the circumstances that we are and it uh, seems like these Viruses are running rampant uh, in South Texas, and uh, I got a phone call from another pastor yesterday afternoon who had come down with uh, something. He said he tested negative for COVID and negative for flu, but uh, a viral infection of some type, and uh, that's what we're going through. So uh, we pray for you, pray for your staff, uh, for your church, and for your community that healing would take place. You know, last week uh, when I was here, uh, several people mentioned to me, and it was mentioned from the platform here, that uh, you as a church are being led by Pastor Steve uh, to pray and to move toward a time of revival in your church and community. Revival starts with us as individuals. We know that. I think we understand that, at least intellectually, if not in our hearts, uh, that that's where revival starts. And so today I, I want to... Uh, to talk to you about something that has to do uh, with revival or the extension of revival in community. Because as a church is revived, as we become on fire, so to speak, for the Lord Jesus Christ, there comes a burning desire within our heart to begin to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with lost people. Uh, that's a natural outcome of revival. And over the years, as an evangelist for several years, as a pastor for 20 years, and now back in denominational work and visiting churches all over South Texas, one of the things that I have learned uh, that is just a fact, and that is this, most Christians never lead anyone to Christ. You know that? Most Christians never lead anybody to Christ. Here's the really sad reality, though. A lot of Christians, if not most Christians, never try to lead anyone to Christ. And I've talked to people about this, and I've asked them, why do you not share your faith with people? Why, why are you fearful of sharing your faith? And you know what the number one reason is? I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid that they're going to reject me. I'm afraid they'll say no. So today, a couple of things. If you're here and you do not know Christ as your Savior, if you've never come to a point in your life where you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and placed your faith in Him, I want to encourage you to do that this morning. We're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And I want us to look into Scripture. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture. It's found in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, would appreciate you opening to Mark chapter 10 and in this passage of Scripture, we see a young man who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he asks him a very important question, a question you may be asking today, and that is this, how do I become a Christian? How do I find faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? How do I come into a relationship with the God who created me in the first place? And this man asked Jesus this, and Jesus responds to him. Jesus shares the gospel with him. Let's look at what it says, beginning in verse 17. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. 
Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Is that a question you're asking today? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life, to be saved, to live forever in heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ? And then Jesus asked him a question. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not, uh, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And the young man interrupted and he says, teacher, teacher, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this point, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, wow, how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. May God had his blessing to the reaching of his scripture. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would use this familiar passage today to challenge us. For those who don't know you as Savior, that you would challenge them to come into that living eternal relationship with you through Jesus Christ this morning before they walk out of this place, that they would confess their sin to you, that they would ask you for forgiveness, and that you would do a miracle in their life that only you can do. And Father, for those of us who are saved, those of us who know that if we were to die this morning, we would spend an eternity with you in heaven, Father, I pray that you would challenge us that as we think about revival and we think about going into our town and into our businesses, into our schools, into the relationships that we have with friends and with relatives, that, Lord, that you would challenge us to not be fearful. Don't be afraid. That you would help us to understand that faithfulness always trumps fear. And, Lord, that we would be a changed people when we leave this place. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. First thing I want us to see about this passage of Scripture is that this young man, we call him usually the rich young ruler because Jesus says he was a very wealthy young man. Now, I, I don't know what all that means. I don't know what he ruled over, if he really was a ruler or not, but he was a very wealthy person. I suppose today that if we were to see him and he was a, a young 20-something, that we would say he had it all. His parents uh, put him in designer clothes. He, he would drive maybe a, a, a Maserati or a, a BMW or something like that. It, he, he seemed to have it all. But he understood that there was something lacking in his life. And that wasn't something of a material possession. It had to do with his spiritual side. You see, God created us with the Spirit. The Word of God says that God created us like himself. Now, what does that mean? Well, it says that God is a spirit and we worship him in spirit and truth. That means God gave us a spirit. You, we can save the whales, but I want to tell you, God get, did not give whales a spirit. 
God didn't give dogs or cats the spirit. We love them, and they're our friends, and, and, and we spent a lot of money on them. In fact, we heard this morning a lady was talking on the radio, and she said that she had spent between twenty dollars and $30,000 last year on her dog who died of cancer. We spent a lot of money on those things. But God did not give anything in creation a spirit except us. And he gave us a spirit because he wanted to be able to communicate with us. He's a spirit. He wanted to communicate with us. He communicates with us in spirit. He says, in fact, if we are ever to worship him, we are to worship him how? In spirit and in truth. And so this young man had something spiritually lacking in his life and money could not buy it. He had everything in life that anyone could want. But he lacked something spiritual. He lacked a relationship with Almighty God. And so he came to Jesus, knowing that Jesus was a great teacher. He referred to him as rabbi, other scriptures tell us. He was a, a man of God. And so he came to Jesus, not knowing that he was the Son of God, but that he was a man of God. And he came to him and he said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus immediately shared with him the gospel. He said, well, there's two ways, basically. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior and you're asking that question today, I want you to know the answer is the same today as what Jesus said. He told the young man, there's two ways you can come to eternal life. Number one, you can live a perfect life. Now, that's not exactly the words that Jesus used, but this was a Jewish man, and he knew the laws and so Jesus told him, if you want to inherit heaven, if you want to go to heaven, then you follow every law and you never waver from any of them. You never fail in your life and you can get into heaven. Now, let me ask you, do you fall into that category? Well, scripture tells us there's none righteous, not one. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes this young man. But but when Jesus was enumerating the laws of the, just the Ten Commandments, not even all of the Jewish laws, but just the Ten Commandments, the young man interrupted him. He said, he said, listen, I've done that. Hello? Do you realize that he looked into the face of God? Because Jesus is God, right? This young man looked into the face of God and lied to him. And Jesus knew it. He said, I've done this. And I'm going to tell you, if that was me, and probably if that was you, at that point, you would have said, okay, man, you're on your way to hell and you don't even know it. See you later. And we'd have probably walked away from it because we don't like people to lie to us, right? But what does scripture say that Jesus did? It says, Jesus looked back at him and loved him, and loved him. Lost person, you're here today, and I don't know how many times that you have been in a service like this, or a revival service, or a Bible study, or vacation Bible school, whatever it might have been, and you've heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you've rejected him. Well, I want you to know he's not walked away from you. He still loves you. 
And that free gift of salvation is still available to you. And if you would accept it this morning, you could walk out of this building knowing that for all of eternity, you are saved through the power of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood has covered your sins and you will live with God forever and ever and ever in a place called heaven. But you have to go to him in faith. A simple prayer and say to him, Father, I know that I've sinned. Don't lie to him. He knows what your sin is. Say, Father, I've sinned. Lord, my sins are so numerous, I can't even tell you all of the sins I've committed. But God, today I ask you to forgive me and come into my life. And my dear friends, like that, God will do what he says in his word. He says, I will forgive you of all of your unrighteousness, of all of your sin, and I will never remember your sins again. And you can be saved this morning if you would do that. Now, for those of us who are Christians today, there, there's something in this passage that we oftentimes overlook. And that is this. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh. Is that right? Amen? Okay. Perfect in every way. And if there was ever a person who lived out their message, so to speak, that would be Jesus, right? Because he was perfect. One of the fallacies that I hear in churches, I hear it from preachers sometimes, is they tell us as Christians that we need to simply live out our faith. Have you ever heard that? Maybe you've said that. Somebody asked you, how do you, how do you witness how do you share your faith with other people? And a very common answer to that is, well, I try to live a life like Christ. I let people see Christ in me. Well, that's great. You ought to do that. But is there anyone who has done that any better than Jesus? No, he was perfect. And yet, when people came to him or when he encountered people like the woman at the well or this person or Zacchaeus or you name them, what did Jesus do? Jesus go up to him and say, hey, I just want you to watch the way I live my life. And maybe somehow, you know, you can come to know Christ through watching me. Christ didn't do that. What did he do? He always opened his mouth and he shared the good news. He shared the gospel. Now, if he was the perfect example, but he saw the need to also share verbally the gospel, then those of us who fall short of his mark, though we try to live as close to his life as we can, we know we're going to fail. Should we not also be opening our mouths to share the gospel? Folks, that's part of revival, of God getting into our heart and telling us to open up. Open up and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the heart of God. The heart of God is for us to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was in law enforcement for six and a half years. I spent quite a bit of time on a witness stand. 
And I want to tell you, there was never a judge who ever told me as a witness in a court, come up here and sit and let everybody see what a great officer you are. No, every time I had to go up there and I had to open my mouth and share what I had experienced, what I had seen. Folks, that's what being a witness is. Should you live a godly life? Should you live like Christ? Yes, you should. And if you are a witness and you share what God has done for you and you don't live a Christian life, a godly life, then it's going to deteriorate what you said, the effectiveness of it. But you cannot be a witness of the Lord Jesus Christ and never open your mouth and share the gospel. You just can't do it. It's impossible. Jesus said, you are my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Share the gospel. Go and tell. That's the heart of God. That's why he left us here, is to share the gospel with lost people. And so what do we see in this passage of Scripture? What, what is it that motivated Jesus to not just live the godly life, perfect life, but to actually share the gospel. I want to tell you today, number one, it was his passion. It was his passion. He wants people to come to know him. He wants people to come into a relationship with God the Father. He wants us to be children of God. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines passion as this. It's an intense driving an overmastering feeling or conviction that one has. You see, Jesus wanted people to know the way to God. He wanted people to know how to get on that narrow road that leads to eternal life, how to get off of that wide road that leads to eternal damnation. He wanted them to know he wanted the people to know himself and to know God in a very real way. Passion is more than, than just reason. It involves emotion. A passion overwhelms the person. And Jesus was overwhelmed with this idea. When he was asked, why did he come? He said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's why Jesus came. That's why when we celebrate Easter, the crucifixion and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, the week before is called what? The week of passion. It was his passion. He was willing to give his life so that people could come into relationship with God again so that they would not die and go to him. It was what he lived for. It was what he died for. It was his passion. Let me ask you today, what is your passion? Do you have passion? Do you understand what passion is? Does anybody here know the name Tony Gwynn? Probably not. Let me tell you who Tony Gwynn was. Tony Gwynn was a professional baseball player. He played for the San Diego uh, Padres for over 20 years. Now, I played baseball when I was a kid. And when I was a kid, it, starting out in Little League, you know what position everybody wants to play? Anybody have any idea? Pitcher, right? Everybody wants to be the pitcher. Why do they want to be the pitcher? 
Well, because the picture is the center of attention. Do you realize the pitcher is the only player on the field that touches the ball every single play? Every play. And if you can't be the pitcher, then you want to be the catcher because the catcher, well, he gets the ball most every time, right? And if not the catcher, then maybe first base. And if not pitcher, catcher, or first base, you at least want to play in the infield, right? Because that's where the grounders come and that's where most balls are hit. If not, you get stuck out in the outfield, right? Well, if you get put in the outfield, you know, it's okay to be in the left field or center field because most fly balls are hit to left or center field. And, and at least once or twice during the game, you're going to get to field a ball. You're going to get to be a part of the game other than just batting. But nobody wants to play right field because few balls are hit to right field. And most of the time, if you're the right fielder, you, you stand out there and, and if you're on your home field, you get to wave and hear the people cheering you behind you. And if you're in a, somebody else's home field, you're away, you get to hear all of the hecklers behind you out there in right field. And you get to hear them because you're not busy fielding balls in right field. Well, guess where Tony Gwynn played for 21 years? For the world champion, <coughs> excuse me, I got that wrong. For the San Diego Padres, he played right field. And you've never heard of him. But let me share a couple of things about Tony Gwynn with you. Tony Gwynn won the Blantrichke Award. He won the Roberto Clemente Award. He won the Lou Gehrig Award. He won four gold gloves seven Silver Slugger Awards. He was nominated for Most Valuable Player in the National League 11 times in his career. And during his first major league season, he batted an average of 289, which ain't bad for a rookie. Over his entire season, he never, other than that one year, he never hit below 300. And his average was, for his career was 338. Pretty amazing for somebody we've never heard of, right? Well, in 2007, Tony Gwynn was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. You go there, you'll see his bust, and you'll see all the information about him. But we've never heard of him. The general manager of the San Diego Padres, although Tony had several managers on the field, one general manager was there from the time that he started until after he left and at his inauguration into the Baseball Hall of Fame, the general manager was asked this, what set Tony Gwynn apart? And this was his answer. He said, passion for the game and passion to do what he does and to do it better than anyone else. Passion. And you may feel in your spiritual life that you're just out there in right field. You're not the pitcher. You're not the evangelist. You're not the pastor. 
You're not a deacon, maybe. Maybe you're not up here on stage in the praise team, and you just think, well, I'm just out here in right field. Listen, you need to have a passion for sharing the gospel like Tony Gwynn had for playing baseball. Reeve and I went yesterday and saw a movie that's out right now about the life of Kurt Warner. It's about a man who was, went to a small college, played quarterback there. Nobody ever thought he would make it to the NFL. He wasn't drafted. He went and tried out. They gave him an opportunity, and after one day, he was told to go home. He was a loser. But he wouldn't quit. He wouldn't give up. Played in the Arena Football League, finally, after about four or five years. And he was picked up by the Rams. Ended up playing multiple seasons with them, becoming a quarterback who led his team to the Super Bowl, was the most valuable player of the Super Bowl. You know what set him apart? His passion for the game of football. You see, folks, it's easy for us to find examples of people with passion for things in life, but it's hard to find people with passion for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus had a passion for lost people. He had a passion that people should come to know the way, the truth, and the life, and that salvation could be theirs. It was passion for sharing the gospel that motivated Peter and John when they were standing before the Sanhedrin to say this. We find it in Acts chapter 4 and verse 19. He said, they said, judge for yourself whether it is, it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. And then listen, they said, for we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. What are they saying? When they were standing before the judges, they said, look, I, 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 you've judged for yourself what the situation is, but we can't help. We can't stop sharing the gospel. It's our passion. It's what drives us. We try to live like Christ. We're going to tell people about the gospel and to the Sanhedrin basically they said, and if you don't like it, you get over it because we're going to continue to share the gospel. It's that kind of passion that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You, you know that part where he said, well, he said, I am free and I don't belong to any person, but I make myself a slave to everyone who is a slave, to as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew. To win a few Jews, to those under the law, I become like one under the law, though my, I myself am not under the law, because I want to win people who seem like they are under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one of them. And then he says this, to the weak, I became weak. And then he says, for I become all things to all men so that by all means possible, I might win 
some. I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. You see, the Apostle Paul was passionate about sharing the gospel. He said, I'm going to be a friend to everybody. I'm going to live a godly life before everybody. But I'm going to get to know them. I'm going to get to know where they live, what their occupation is, what their likes are, so that I can get close to them so I can share the gospel with them. And folks, when revival comes to your heart, you're going to want to share the gospel with people, just like the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 12, Paul exhorts us, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. In other words, maintain that fervor, maintain that zeal, maintain that passion. Don't let it fade away. And for many Christians, if not most of us, when we were saved, when we were first saved, we were excited about it and we would share what had happened in our life with other people. But over time, what we lost that fervor that passion began to fade. And the word of God through the apostle Paul says, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. Jesus had and Jesus has a passion for the lost people. He loves us all. In John 15, Jesus says this, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. That's passion. So I ask you today, Christian, do you have a passion for sharing the gospel? Would you become something that you're not so that you could reach someone who's not like you? Would you be willing to go someplace you normally would not go just so you could reach somebody in that place with the gospel? Would you be willing to give your life for a lost friend if you knew that giving your life would bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Jesus had a passion. But Jesus also had a prayer life. Passion and prayer are something we as Christians need to catch today. William Fay wrote these words. He said, nothing is more important in developing a heart for witnessing than prayer. Prayer makes the difference. The Holy Spirit works, the barriers fall, and the gentle hand of God guides you to opportunities for sharing. Primary reason, like I said a moment ago, that people don't share their faith is they're afraid of failure. An old hymn that we sing from time to time. The words go like this Oh, what a peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, the life of Christ is a masterpiece of prayer. Throughout the Gospels, Time after time after time again, we see Jesus getting alone to pray. Pray for his apostles, to pray for lost people, to pray for you and me. 
Jesus was a man of prayer. It was important to him. And prayer is important in at least three different ways. Prayer says, uh, uh, prayer is important in these ways. It's important, first of all, it's important to the witness. That's you. That's you. When revival comes to your life, you're going to become a witness. You're going to become a person who shares the gospel with other people. And prayer is important for you. Why is that? Because you need strength. You need encouragement. And prayer, along with Bible study, are the two primary ways that you develop a close relationship with God. And I believe this is an area that your church is working on right now, being led by Brother Steve to, to get into prayer and Bible study and supplication, maybe fasting, so that you can become closer to God, so you can have a close walk with Him. It's important for the witness to talk with God. And listen, it's more important for you as a witness to to talk with God than it is to talk about God. You need that relationship. You need that fellowship with him. Your deepening relationship with God through prayer will bring you to a fearless dependence upon his power and leave your own power behind. Depending on your own knowledge and your own training and your own expertise will lead you to withdraw and stop sharing because we as Christians, by and large, don't think we know enough scripture. We don't have enough training to be true witnesses for Christ. That's a lie straight from the heart of Satan, folks. We need to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit of God in our life. Spending time with God in prayer. Asking him to empower us. When we're going to share the gospel, one of the things I do, I pray, is I go to share the gospel as God. I'm not sure I know the right scriptures to share with this person. So God, I'm just going to depend on you till you give me the scriptures you want him or her to hear. And you know what? Sometimes God gives me scriptures that I don't remember that I remembered. But it's the power of God in our life. So prayer is important to the witness. Secondly, it's important to the lost person. If we know who we're going to be praying for, we need uh, who we're going to be witnessing to, we need to be praying for them. Now, granted, sometimes we don't know for sure who we're going to be witnessing to. Sometimes we just get up in the morning or during our quiet time with God, we, we just tell God, God, show me someone today that I can share the gospel with. Have you ever prayed that? I've prayed that, and then sometimes like, Lord, I, I hope you don't answer that one. But sometimes we pray that, God, just show me someone I can share the gospel with, and God puts somebody in our pathway, opens the door. And so we don't have a lot of time to pray for them, but we can pray for lost people in that sense even before we know who they are. When we pray, Lord, put somebody in my pathway today. And Lord, would you begin now, if you've not already, to work in their heart, to soften their heart so that they can hear and receive my testimony and your word? If we know who they are, let's pray for them by name. Lord, 
I'm going to be with Susie or John or Billy or whoever it is today. Lord, I pray that, that you would give me an opportunity to share the gospel. And Lord, I've been praying for Bill or Susie or whoever it is for a long time. And I pray that today, God, that today when I go and speak to them, that you would so have softened their heart that they would open up. And Lord, I pray right now that they would give their life to you, that they would come to know you as Savior. Folks, it is important for us to pray for lost people. You see, our testimony, our, our sharing will fall on deaf ears if the Holy Spirit has not preceded us to that person. Salvation is the work of the Holy Spirit. We are privileged to get to partner with him. He has selected us as partners to work with him. But if he is not working, then what we say will fall on deaf ears. Pray for lost people, whether you know their name or whether you do not know their name. Pray that the Holy Spirit precedes you to that encounter that you're going to have. And then pray that he will convict them of their, holy, of, of their sin in their life. You see, and I was a full-time evangelist for a while, I was a pastor for 20 years. I've been doing this for a long time now, seven or eight years. And I have found myself guilty sometimes of trying to convict people of their sin. Have you ever done that? A friend of yours and you go to them and you just try to make them feel really bad about what their sin is. I'm sorry to say I've done that. I've gotten to a point in my life when that happens, God brings me to my knees real quick. And it reminds me, Mitch, it's not your job to convict anyone of sin. It's the job of Holy Spirit to do that. So you pray and ask the Holy Spirit to convict the person that you're going to of sin in their life, not so that you can demean them in any way, but so that they will realize their need for a Savior. And that when you share with them how they can know what it means to be saved and means to be forgiven, that they will be receptive to it because they are already broken through the power of God in the working of Holy Spirit in their life. Prayer is important to you as the witness. Prayer is important to the person that you're going to. And prayer is important to the church. Prayer is important to the church. In Matthew 9, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest. Some translations say, pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers into his field. First Baptist Church, LaGrange, you're the workers. You need to be praying for yourself as a witness. And you need to be praying for the lost people in your community. But look around. You need to be praying for your church, for everyone here. Can you imagine the impact that you could have on your community if every person in this building this morning would simply lead one person to Jesus in your city during the next year. 
Now you extend that out and think about, well, then what if all of those people joined you and all of you led one the next year and the next year? See, that's what multiplication is all about. And we need to pray for one another because it's one thing for us to have a passion, but we need other people to join us with a passion, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can promise you that Pastor Steve is praying that for you. He has a passion and he wants you to join him in a passion for reaching this community with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't win the world to Jesus by yourself, you say. That's why you join with thousands of other Southern Baptist churches through the International Mission Board and through the North American Mission Board to reach North America and to reach the world with the gospel. And Christian friend, you need to be sharing the gospel with your friends and your relatives and those individuals that God lays on your heart. But the fact is, you're not going to reach your community unless all of you together go out to reach your community. You need to have a passion as a church. It doesn't do much good to pray for the lost if there are no witnesses to go and share the gospel. Even though you may live a wonderfully good life, Salvation does not come through osmosis, folks. It comes through the Word of God. And we need to be sharing the Word of God. If we were to go to John 14, we don't have time to look at it closely today. But in John chapter 14, there's a formula for prayers. Jesus says this, he said, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. What do we see him doing? Living the Christian life and sharing the gospel. He'll do even greater things than this because I'm going to the Father. And he says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so the Son may be glorified with the Father. Ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Now, he's not saying, I'm going to give you everything you want. You want a new car this year? You're going to have to work for it. God's not just going to throw it in your lap. What he's talking about, spiritual things here, he said, if you want me to precede you to a lost person, you start asking me to do it. You've got a sibling that's lost. You've got a child that's lost. You've got a mom or a dad who's lost. You've got a friend that's lost. Jesus said, if you ask in my name for me to precede you and start working on their heart, I'll do it. I promise you I'll do it. But then the implication is then I'm going to expect you to go and share the gospel with them. We need to be praying in faith, following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, then the Lord will not hear me. We need to pray in faith. We need to pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13, he says that, ask anything in my heart. Name. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is the most powerful name ever given among men. It's the only name given among men whereby we what? Must be saved. Pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ask 
what would Jesus do in this situation? And then ask Jesus to do that, to do it in your life, to do it in the life of the lost person, and God will answer your prayer. And then pray expectantly. Pray expecting God to answer you. Don't pray like I was talking about. I sometimes pray, Lord, put somebody in my pathway today that I can share the gospel with and then get up and say, oh, no, well, not really, Lord. No, no. Pray expectantly. Leave the house in the morning looking for that person, being aware of what's going on around you so that when that person appears and, and God touches your heart to speak to them, that you are ready to speak to them. Pray expecting God to answer your prayers. The great late John Bassanio, pastor of First Baptist Church in Houston for so many years, wrote a little book many years ago called The Power of Effective Prayer. And in his book, he tells about a lady that he went to see one time. He was an evangelist. The pastor took him to the home of a lady. The pastor told him before they left, said, this lady's a Christian, but her husband, he's as lost as a goose. Man, he's one of the worst Worst guys in our town, everybody knows him, but they know him for the wrong reasons. But she's been praying for a long time for him to be saved. Let's go over there and see if we can, if we can meet him. And so he took John Bassanio over to their house. Well, the man wasn't home, but the lady was. And so the pastor and John sat down and began to talk to her. And John asked her, he said, I hear you've been praying for your husband. She said, I've been praying for him for years, but it doesn't seem to do any good. And Brother John asked her, he said, well, would you mind sharing with me, how do you pray for him? Just share with me a typical prayer you pray for your husband. And she said something like this. She said, well, I pray for him. And I just say, Lord, if you if you really want my husband to be saved, Lord, let him go to the revival service or Lord, let him be here to see the pastor. I prayed that this morning. I prayed that he would be here. I said, Lord, if you really want him saved, let him be here. Brother John's coming to share the gospel. Lord, just let him be here. And he's not here. And then Brother John wrote these about what he said to her. He said, well, ma'am, the problem is you're not expecting God to answer your prayer. And she said, what? He said, listen to what you're praying. You're praying, Lord, if you want my husband to be saved. And he said, that zaps all of the power out of your prayer right there. said, ask anything in my name. In other words, knowing the heart of God. And Brother John told that lady, he said, ma'am, you need to pray not, Lord, if you want to save my husband, but Lord, because you want to save my husband. Let him be here. Let him hear. Because you love him, Lord, open his ears. Let him understand. Lord, because you want him saved, convict him of the sin in his life. Bring him to his knees. And as a pastor, because of reading that many, many years ago, I would tell my church folks, we need to pray a prayer like this. Lord, this is my friend. Name him by name. Lord, 
Do whatever you need to do to get their attention so that when I share the gospel with them, they'll be receptive and that they'll come to know Jesus as Savior. John Bassanio went on to say that little two-letter word, if, is the most detrimental word that we can use in our prayers when paying for lost people. It's not if Jesus wants to save them. That's why he came. That's his passion. That's what the cross is about. That's what the power of the resurrection is about, is to save lost people. So as you enter into this time of revival and going out into your community and sharing the gospel, begin to pray for your lost friends and lost relatives. Father, do whatever you need to do to get their attention, to break their heart so that they would be open to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, open up the door of opportunity for me. Pray for yourself. Give me the words to say that they could come to know you as Savior and Lord. Henry Blackaby wrote the words that have been quoted many times as witnesses we are to go in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit expecting the Lord Jesus Christ to save the lost. Jesus was rejected by this man. Did you notice that? It says that this young man hung his head and turned and walked away from Jesus. This man wasn't saved. He walked away lost. Jesus was a failure, right? Jesus wasn't a failure. Jesus never failed at anything. So where do we get off thinking that when we share the gospel in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, that even when they walk away lost, how do we get that we're a failure? Folks, you're not a failure when you do what God's called you to do. You can't convict people of their sin. And quite frankly, you can't save anyone from their sin. That's God's job. But he's partnered with us. He's partnered with us to share the good news with people. And you cannot fail when you're faithful. And faithfulness always trumps failure. Always. So lost person today, God's given you another opportunity to come to him. Right now, right where you sit. Quietly in your own heart to bow before him and to ask him for forgiveness. And to begin today your fellowship with him, to begin to follow him every day. Get involved in Bible study. Learn more about him. Learn how to pray. Learn how to read the Bible. Learn how to share your faith. You can do that right now. Christians, 
It's up to us to be faithful. To not allow what someone else does, whether they accept or whether they reject Christ, be a determinant on how faithful we're going to be. Will you determine in your heart, in your life today, to be faithful to the call of Jesus Christ upon your life today? He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the world. That's what you're called to do. That's what I'm called to do. Would you make that commitment today to be faithful? Maybe you've slipped. Get back on track. Have a passion for Christ. Let's bow together. Father, it is in the powerful and effective name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray today. And just ask you to work and to move in our life. Lord, I pray that lost people here today would, would just pray that simple prayer and say to you, Father, I know I've sinned. I can't even enumerate all my sin. But Father, I ask you to forgive me in the name of Jesus today. Come into my life. Father, for those of us who are Christians today, may we be faithful to your call upon our life. There may be someone here today, Lord, who's looking for a church home. And you've led them here. First Baptist Church, LaGrange, and you've said to them this morning in their heart, this is where you need to place your life and your ministry. These are people you need to pray for and you need to pray with. These are people you need to go out with to share the gospel to a community that so desperately needs to hear about Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that they would make that commitment today. There may be someone here today, a young man, a young woman that you're calling, Lord, for some kind of special ministry, missions, or to pastor, whatever it might be, and you're talking to them and you're saying, look, you, you don't think you can do it. You think you're out in right field. I want to bring you into pitch. And I'm going to give you the power. I'm going to give you the talents. I'm going to give you the resource that you need to do that for me. Let them trust you and be faithful in their call. And for the rest of us, Father, may we just make a renewed commitment today that we will be your witnesses. Not just living a Christian life. God, we know we need to do that. Help us to do that. But Father, help us to open our mouths like Jesus did with this young man and share the gospel. We may be rejected, but Lord, in reality, it's not us they're rejecting, it's you that they're rejecting. And help us just to go to the next person, praying for them as we go, praying for ourselves as we go. Help us to make that commitment today. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand together.